Welcome back for episode 34 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Mark of the Beast. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is teaching us about the book of Revelation by relating it to the Latter-day Saint Temple experience. In our last two episodes, we met with Satan's two minions, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. We learned that the beast from the sea stands for tyranny and the land beast stands for oppressive religion. The followers of the beast are marked in a strange way. Today, we learn about the mark of the beast. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah. yeah. First of all, the so-called mark of the beast is a token of a covenant. Remember that every covenant in scripture has an associated token, a symbol that represents that covenant. In Revelation 13, the beast's followers receive, quote, a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that's in chapter 13, verse 16. This mark is a token of their covenant with, with the dragon, who is Satan. And we're told that the mark enables them to, quote, buy or sell in the marketplace. Now, over the centuries, there's been a lot of speculation about the mark of the beast, what it is, what it looks like. But scholars of the New Testament period are pretty sure about what it was. They say that the mark of the beast probably refers to coinage. So the Greek word that John uses for mark is charagma, which means a thing that is pierced or engraved. Mm. Now, in literal terms, the word charagma meant literally the mark of a snake bite. Mm. Intriguing. Among Greek-speaking Jews, like John, of uh, the time, it meant interest on a loan. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Hebrew word for interest is neshek. And that translates into Greek as charagma, mm. and that translates into English as a mark. Mm. Okay. So the mark of the beast has something to do with money. Well, money is Satan's <clears throat> preferred tool, right? He goes around all day long offering people anything they want for money. He buys up military might, armies, navies, air forces, police, with the treasures of the earth. Uh, Hugh Nibley says that the treasures of the earth are, quote, all the precious metals, oil, coal, uranium, and so on, which have indeed enabled the prophesied secret combinations to buy up kings and priests as a rule of blood and horror even now spreads over the entire earth, close quote. He calls it the military-industrial-ecclesiastical complex. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, the root of evil, according to Paul's famous statement in 1 Timothy, is, and the Greek word is philarguria, which means money love. Okay? Mm -hmm. Money love is uh, the root of evils. Uh, that's in 1 Timothy 6, chapter 10. Once greed enters your heart, money becomes a poison to your soul. And it's a poison with which Satan tries to destroy us. Uh, no wonder he chooses it, money, as the token of his covenant, the mark of the beast. 
So we take on ourselves the mark of the beast if we sell ourselves for money. Absolutely right. If you become a slave to money, you've taken on the mark of the beast. Those who love money above everything else enter into a covenant with Satan and receive his token, his mark. Now, this token of a covenant has a name. Every token has a name. And let's find out the name of this token. Would you read for us chapter 13, verses 17 and 18? Yeah, sure thing. No man might buy or sell, save that he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is a number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. Okay. Ooh, the dreaded yeah. six, 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 six. Yeah. The name of the token is a number, mm. six hundred and sixty-six. Right. Now, the number 666 has received absolutely countless interpretations. Everybody has an idea of what it might mean. Mm -hmm. um, however, if you're a scholar, there's a pretty good idea of what it meant. Since Greek and Hebrew letters also act as numbers, many have tried decoding 666 into a word or a phrase or a name. The great... Uh, theologian Jacques Ellul says that, quote, the deciphering of this number has given innumerable and fantastical results. Everything from Nero Caesar to Hitler. Now, many people interpret 666 as a code name for the vicious emperor Nero, who persecuted Christians during John's lifetime. But there are serious problems with that interpretation. What most interpreters don't notice, however, is that the number 666 appears in only one other place in the Bible. The wealthiest man in the Bible, King Solomon, received an annual income of 666 golden talents, or between 3,500 and 10,000 kilograms of gold depending on the definition of a talent. And you'll find that in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 14. Now, that's a little more than 10 tons of gold oh a word. year. Oh a my. year, okay? That's amazing. That's well, probably a tremendous exaggeration. Solomon's yearly revenue could have approached um, $600 million in gold at today's prices. Wow. So what did John the Revelator mean by naming the token six? Six, six. Well, it must have been a reference to Solomon and his 666 golden talents. That makes sense to me, and it also makes sense to most scholars of the, of the Old Testament. Most of John's symbols have something to do with Old Testament symbolism. So Solomon's 666 talents should be the basis for the mysterious number in Revelation 13. But why would John use King Solomon as the basis for the mark of the beast? Because the 666 talents meant disaster for Solomon. He became massively wealthy. Today we would call him a, a high net worth individual. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, as the love of wealth entered his heart, his devotion to God began to waver. Mm. Uh, he broke commandments God gave specifically to him 
as king of Israel. Quote, this is from Deuteronomy 17. Quote, the king shall not multiply horses to himself, neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. So, with all his wealth, Solomon's heart turned away from God. What does it mean, he shall not multiply horses to himself? In that age, uh, horses meant military power. The more horses, the more aggressive Solomon could be. Buying himself an army strong enough to overawe his neighbors, he was able to gather together chariots and horsemen and a 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. That's in First Kings 10. So acquiring a lot of horses in that day and age would be sort of like acquiring a lot of missiles and bombs in our day and age. Yeah, I think I was at Megiddo a couple months ago, which is room, like the, I guess the evidence shows that possibly that's where Solomon kept many of his chariots and horses yeah. in that ancient tell. Megiddo was kind of a um, crossroads right. where armies would meet. Very key strategic place. Yeah. The king of Israel was also commanded not to marry a lot of wives. But Solomon defied God's commandment and multiplied wives to himself from many lands. Yes, he did. He was known for that. That's according to 1 Kings 11. Why did he marry so many women? Well, it was mostly business. Uh, in that culture, to marry a princess from another country, like, say, Egypt or Babylon, strengthened your commercial network. In other words, wives meant business. Wives meant income. Mm. More, the more wives, the more money you could bring in. But didn't Solomon build the temple in Jerusalem? Yes, he built the temple to Jehovah. But he also built temples to his wives' gods, such as Astarte and Chemosh, and the abominable Molech, whose uh, rituals required the sacrifice of children. Oh my gosh. So that's uh, the quote, quote from 1 Kings. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Oh, wow. Now, the New Testament scholar um, G.K. Beale says this, quote, By multiplying gold, horses, chariots, and foreign wives, and by becoming involved in idolatry, the 666 from 1 Kings would serve as an excellent candidate for a number to symbolize the perversion of kingship through idolatry and economic evil, mm. unquote. What's worse... Solomon enriched himself by exploiting his own people. He forced a lot of Israelites into slavery. One scholar says, um, quote, among the most controversial of Solomon's initiatives was forced labor, like the Israelite labor gangs imposed by Pharaoh in Egypt back in Exodus. The quote is, Solomon laid a heavy yoke on Israel requiring grievous service. Now, if we compare Solomon to Pharaoh... A proportion of Solomon's wealth is generated in exactly the same way that Pharaoh's was, through, through coercion, through slavery. So he went back and he did to his own people what the Egyptian Pharaoh had done to them. This is called irony. Yeah, very ironic. Brigham Young said that Solomon built a temple for the purpose of giving endowments. Now, if Solomon received his endowment from the hand of the Lord himself, who 
according to 1 Kings, appeared unto him twice, he really betrayed that covenant by receiving the mark of the beast in his heart. Quote, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel. 1 Kings 11 and 9. Now, God punished Solomon by deserting him and wrecking his kingdom. The Lord told him, quote, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee. So instead of an eternally increasing kingdom, Solomon's kingdom of Israel breaks into pieces over the heavy taxes he forced them to pay, over the slavery he instituted. It was just a wreck. So what exactly was the mark of the beast then? What did it look like? Was it a number, 666? The mark of the beast was probably the brand of a slave. In John's time, slaves were often branded like cattle. Scholars say that the, quote, origin of human branding in the West is to mark the ownership of slaves. The Greeks branded their slaves with a delta. Okay, you know what a delta mark looks like. It looks yeah. like a triangle. Yeah, it looks like, yeah. Um, a delta, which uh, was the initial in the word doulos, which meant slave in Greek. The slaves were branded with a hot iron or a tattoo on the forehead. So the delta mark or triangle was associated with bondage. Got it. If we search the sky for the doulos mark, the obvious candidate is the constellation called triangle. Okay? Its, it's official name is delta. Hmm, makes sense. This, it's a three-sided constellation, and it can be seen, if you look up, between the constellations Andromeda and Perseus. Delta could signify the beast. One interesting note, and I don't know what to make of this really, but scholars say there is a class of numbers called triangulars, which arrange themselves naturally into a triangle. And a good example of a triangular is the number 666, which is the sum of the numbers from 1 to 36. Okay. So once again, we have John playing with astronomy, playing with mathematics, mm -hmm. um, to come up with this notion of the mark of the beast. So the sign of the delta on the right hand or the forehead could have been a token of the covenant with the beast. This formula deliberately mocks the tokens of the covenant between God and Israel. Because God said back in um, Exodus, You shall wear a sign upon thine hand and a memorial between thine eyes. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Now, ironically, while God's covenant frees us from slavery, the beast's covenant pulls us into slavery. And, of course, the mark of the beast is not only physical, but also spiritual. People can wear the mark of the beast in their hearts and minds, and I think Solomon came to bear in his heart the mark of a slave to the false god of this world. So, in your experience, um, what happens to people who take the mark of the beast into their hearts? I've seen people turn to a love of money often in my life. 
and it steals happiness from them, makes them miserable. And almost in every case, I've seen them all lose everything. They lose all the money they had. It's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, there's a list of long, a lot of people I know that just obsess about money and they lose they lose human connection. They you they lose what matters most, priorities, and yeah. they lose happiness. Obsession with money um, can wreck yeah. a lot and wreck your family, wreck your children. You know, I had a friend uh, recently taught my son this principle that uh, God trusts you with money and he watches what you do with it. <laughs> and if you do the right things, he blesses you with more money. Interesting. And I'm like, boy, does, <laughs> boy, do I, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but sure like the way that sounded. I, I, yeah, so do I. <laughs> That's that's nice. Uh, I was just reading recently um, that a rich person, a person who builds a lot of wealth during during their life, that will all be gone by the third generation. Most of it, most of the time, yeah. That's ninety percent of the time. Yeah, it and is. apparently it's because what happens is that you raise a family in wealth, and the family becomes accustomed to self indulgence, yeah. and pretty soon they dissipate it all. I have a story about that. If you, uh, sort Go of ahead. A, a person that's really well known in our community, a dear friend who's passed on, he told me once, he said, You know, he said, think about intergenerational wealth as an apple tree. He loved apple trees. And he said, You, you work really hard and you grow this big apple tree, and it bears fruit. And then you have family that uses the fruit. They, they feed off that fruit. And he said, and as your family grows in generations, that apple tree gets picked and picked and picked. And pretty soon it's picked to death and it's, it's destroyed. And then he said, let me tell you, Sam, what I've tried to do. I've tried to build apple orchards. <laughs> and every generation, they grow their own apple trees. And so there's enough to feed everybody. And I'm like, that is profound. (laughs) And it's really stuck with me. Using money to bless the lives of others and to make money and to to build self-reliance is a a great approach to this, I think. Um, It's counter-type to to what (laughs) we're talking about here, but I love that analogy. Well, the obsession of money is um, spiritually, I think, the mark of the beast. those who accept the covenant of the beast, which is Cain's covenant, right? To trade the love of the Savior for uh, worldly wealth. They become subjected to the spirit of the devil, says Alma. He doth seal you his. Therefore, the spirit of the Lord withdraws from you. That's in 34th chapter of Alma. Uh, Here's another quote. This is from um, a scholarly article called Solomon and 666 by a couple of scholars named Bodner and Strong. And I think this is quite an interesting quote. Quote, Solomon's legendary riches come in no small way at the expense of his people and as a result of despotic monarchic rule. The unusual and memorable number 666 activates the exploitive economic practices of Solomon, since these are also at work and in spades, in the evil empire of the beast. Oh, yeah. Isn't that a great quote? That is a I great like quote. It makes yeah. a lot of sense based on our last few podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Now, the apostle John, who wrote Revelation, he was afraid that the saints would trade the seal of God for the mark of the beast. 
And when he says in chapter 13, quote, here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, he means this is the moment to have discernment, as Elil puts it. In a conference talk, um, Elder Quentin L. Cook asked this, this good quote, what is this number, meaning 666, what does this number mean to us today? It means turning from the worship of the true and living God and worshiping false gods like wealth and fame and engaging in immoral and unrighteous conduct that results in bondage in all its insidious manifestations. Close quote. Now, the early Christian writer Irenaeus said, I don't know, I think you're supposed to say that Irenaeus, but I'm not sure said that the mark is, quote, a summing up of the whole of that apostasy which has taken place during 6,000 years. Mm -hmm. um, it begins with envy, the Tenth Commandment, even with 666 golden talents a year, uh, $600 million in today's prices. Solomon could not get enough and so he ruined his nation and his family. And likewise, think about Fourth um, Nephi in, in the Book of Mormon, where they have a peaceful golden age following the visit of the Savior. Right. But it ends. When does it end? It ends with a scramble for, quote, costly apparel, all manner of fine pearls and of the fine things of the world. So pride enters in, and uh, the whole thing goes, well, the result is catastrophe. I think Satan gloats when the tyrant and the false priest, right, the two beasts, deceive even the saints into idolatry, into worshiping the world. This is the day of his dominion, the day of Satan's dominion. Just like in Enoch's time, when his chains, quote, veiled the whole face of the earth with darkness. And he looked up and laughed, and his angels rejoiced. That's from Moses chapter 7. So, to sum up, the mark of the beast is probably uh, obsession with money. In John's time, he probably would have seen the mark of a slave on a lot of people, which looked like a delta mark. And uh, he used that metaphor Use that as a symbol for the slavery or spiritual slavery that comes from being obsessed with um, the world. Now, Satan, of course, keeps hassling us, right, with this, uh, you can have anything you want. Uh, <laughs> do you have any money? I'll give you whatever you want if you'll give me some money. I mean, it's, a, it's an eternal sort of, ha it's not eternal, thank heaven, but it is a constant hassle mm -hmm. as we go through this mortal journey. He's pelting you with that in your face. Over and over and again, Constantly, over and over again, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people, unfortunately, fall fall prey to him. He's a predator. Meanwhile, if we go back to the temple, now here's Adam and Eve. They're confronted with Satan, and um, they're trying to journey through the desert, right? Looking up in prayer for further light and knowledge. And in our next episode, we will see that the Lord sends them three messengers to answer their prayer. Um, that's an interesting story that takes us back to the temple. I'm excited. Thank you. <laughs>